0: And welcome, everybody, to the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. I am your host, John Allen, and today I have with me, who I think is a very interesting guy, Mr. Ferdinand Basson from South Africa. How are you doing?
1: Uh, Thanks, John, for having me on the show.
0: Thanks for coming, man. For for, for me, this is a little bit surreal. This is a little, it's, 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 it's kind of odd, because I've known you through social media for quite some time. Well, uh, a couple, three, three years, maybe three and a half years. And that started just for me watching uh, a few fights on the EFC. And there was something about the way you conducted yourself as a referee that I just thought it was cool. And there's also the fact, the way you're built, I, I was, I, you know, I'm a powerlifter as well as you know, and I, I was looking at you and I'm like, that guy looks like a powerlifter. So I did, I did a little research, I found out you were in fact a powerlifter, and then I sent you the friend request on Facebook. And then since then, I've been uh, lucky enough to, watch, I, I'm actually very entertained by the posts that you put out on social media. You're a very opinionated guy.
1: Uh, yes, I, I don't think it's always a good thing to be that dependent, <laughs> but you know, I, I'm, I'm a passionate guy as well, and sometimes y- you have to vent somewhere. Um, and I guess that's Facebook is that, and it's, it's not always good. I mean, I had, a, I had a chat with one of my friends the other day, and he says, man, he, he, he thinks social media is divisive, you know. Because it gives the people a platform to post their opinions, and then it divides the people. And I think he's, he, he's, he's right in, in in certain way. But as I said, you know, everybody's got an opinion. I guess um, I just post mine more regularly on social media than the rest.
0: <laughs> well, you pull no punches. You definitely say what's on your mind. I, I, I for one, like it. I think, I think social media is both divisive, but it's also unifying. You know, it's... It, uh, uh, <sighs> Yeah, of course, it's divisive if you disagree with a person. And in these days of social and political unrest, uh, there's too much. Uh, I mean, it's okay to disagree, but why do you have to get mean? Why do you have to get nasty? Why does that lead to, to, to violence and hatred and whatnot? I, I like a good debate. I love when someone disagrees with me or when I disagree with them, and it can lead us into a new discussion. To me, that's, 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 that's enlightening. That's enriches, that enriches my life. You know,
1: c- coming back to what you mentioned in the beginning, um, the mixed martial arts and the EFC, it, it is the same temperament for me. Um, sport, you know, you a sportsman. I used to compete in sports as well, and and it's a challenging thing. And you want to beat your competitor. We all know that. You know, that's why we compete. Sometimes yeah. in powerlifting, you want to you you want to beat you the you of yesterday. Yes. But. I I try and get my fighters because at the end of the day, you're still a human. You still have to go back to your family. And, uh, you know, you've got all of that. When you walk into the cage, you need to be able to switch on, complete your task that you need to do. And it's violence. I mean, MMA, mixed martial arts is violence. Exactly. That's the whole point
0: of it.
1: Yeah. It's controlled violence. Um, And then once that bell goes, you switch it off again. Um, and, you know, that's the same when you have a debate. When you sit with somebody, you don't have to be mean about it. You, 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 you put your point. They put their point. Maybe, and, you know, if you have a, a rich and a rational debate, maybe you walk away there a more sound person than before you entered the debate. Exactly. And, and that, and and that's important i'm not saying you're always going to agree but at least you're going to walk away and say listen yeah there is a rational human beings out there that have a different perspective on this point that i have and maybe I should just acknowledge that, not even agree necessarily, but acknowledge that, that there is different viewpoints on this yeah. thing that I feel so strong about.
0: You know, it, it's all about dialogue. You know, I could I could disagree with everything that a Trump supporter uh, believes in politically, but I can still learn something from that disagreement. I, I, I'm very curious about how that person thinks. How did they come to, to, to think the, the way that they do? What's their life experience? What led them to that point? And the only way you're gonna get the Answers those questions answered is by having a dialogue with the person 100%.
1: And you you will get, I mean, I'm not a Trump supporter, I'm in South Africa, and I'm a firm believer that. you know, loyalty starts at home, and uh, I think we've, as, as a country, we've got so much issues um, that trying to point out another country's issues is, is futile and, and down, downright insulting.
0: Yeah, I believe people it. should take care of their own house, and that puts me in some somewhat of a dilemma as an American citizen living in Norway. I feel in this, we, I'm in a weird situation and it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of difficult to take in all of this and it's kind of difficult to find out how do I use my platform to make a difference.
1: Yes. No, no, and I can fully understand that. So, you know, I know um, through the sport of, of, of mixed martial arts, I was fortunate enough to have traveled a bit with it. I've made a lot of friends uh, in the USA that's still in the USA and um, all of them. All of them, every single one of them, is a nice guy that I've I've met, or, or nice female for that matter. Let's not be gender specific. Yeah, and yeah. Um, some of them are Trump supporters, and some of them are non-Trump supporters. What What's funny is um, you get that patch in the middle that yeah. some of the guys some of the guys will say, "Listen, yeah, I support this view, but I don't support Trump." I support his view on this matter, but I don't support Trump. Um, where the non-Trump supporters, and I'll probably get a massive amount of flack for that, um, <laughs> they, they will vehemently oppose every single thing that he said. And I think it's it's a passion thing. I think they are so passionate about their country and about the wrongs that's happening in their country that they, you know, just see Trump as a target and not necessarily his actions. Um And that's that's the issue.
0: I understand that. I don't, I try not to look at President Trump as a target, but I do see him as a catalyst for a lot of the ugliness that's going on because messaging is quite important. And when you're the leader of a country, uh, you know, and this has nothing to do with Democrat or Republican, it has to do with decency. You have to have a certain amount of decency as the leader of a nation because you set the tone for the entire country to follow. And yeah. he has not set a tone of decency, he has not set a tone of dialogue, and that—that that is the biggest problem, I think. Uh,
1: you, you know, I, I fully agree with you. I mean, he's definitely not diplomatic. Let's let's just get it, uh, get that out right. So, he's, he's not your typical politician, and I think a lot of uh, people, when he got voted in, saw that and saw, listen. I'm tired of politicians. This guy is a straight talker. Let's get him in. Man. And that's that's what he was. He was a straight talker. The problem is, um, he's also, he doesn't, well, I can't say he doesn't, but he's got very little tact. Um, <laughs> and 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 like you say, in the position that he's in, he should almost mediate his responses. I mean, yes. I'm a, I'm opinionated, but I'm a nobody. He is, well, for all um uh, intents and purposes, he's the leader of the free world. He should have a little bit more tact, I think.
0: He, um, sh- he should. I uh, think a lot of it, though, has to do with him having a lack of uh, advisors around him. I mean, he, everybody's either quit or he's fired them. I don't think he has... I, he doesn't have that voice of reason in his ear. He's fired them I, all or they've all yeah. quit. I, I don't think he
1: doesn't have that... I think he's had. I think he doesn't listen to them. I think...
0: I think he has know, before. For example, General yeah. General Mattis, uh, uh, who quite recently came with some rather... Uh, uh, pointed comments about about this current presidency. Uh, he was a man of reason, uh, but but things got to the point where he had to resign.
1: Yes, so. I'm, I'm, I'm. I I think those guys that, you know, feel so strongly about the country and, you know, not necessarily oppose Trump, but oppose some of his ideas, um, then get sidelined and, you know, then they decide, well, I'm not part of this anymore. Let me rather quit or let me rather resign or they are pushed to the point where they they would resign. So, you know, and... To run a country, I think it's it's not the easiest thing in the world.
0: Oh God, um, I wouldn't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, I can barely run and, my own household. So.
1: Exactly, <laughs> and you know, you know, I, I've I've got a I've got a little eight year old that's running right every single day compared to, <laughs> compared <laughs> to other countries.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hey, let, let me ask you let me ask you a little bit about South Africa. Now now South Africa has, has fascinated me ever since I was a child. I'm fifty one years old now, so I can remember the, the times of apartheid and whatnot and, and the protests and everything. So that was my first image, my first view, my first opinion of South Africa. You know, and then I, I get a little older, I get a little more educated, I, I do I do my own research, and then I realize that there are some nuances there. Uh I have I have some powerlifter friends who uh, now this is going back some years. I want to say maybe it was in the early '90s. Uh, one of the IPF World Championships was in was in South Africa. I believe it was in
1: two
0: thousand and four. Uh, even before that, no, even before oh, okay. that. If we're going back before that, this is old school stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know, I don't remember, but somewhere in South yeah. Africa, and they were talking about how they had to have security personnel because it was just too dangerous for them. Uh, to be out and about in the city, and again, I don't, I can't remember. I, I want to say it was Durham. Durban. I'm sorry, oh, Durban Durban. I'm sorry, Dur Durban. Durban. I'm uh, sorry. Yeah. Dur- Durban of course, um, I'm a great podcast host. <laughs> Durban <laughs> Durban. <laughs> and and so then that again cemented some of my thoughts about what it's like in South Africa. Um, what is it like out there today? You know, I I you're you're a white guy in south africa and with that comes a history with that comes a certain amount of i don't know baggage possibly
1: yeah for for sure i mean um i think we, we we're a country with many nations um uh, it's quite and, diverse, you know, actually.
0: Yeah, yes. Exactly. So
1: I, I think we're the only country in the world that's got 11 um, listed languages yeah. as official languages. Yeah. So so there you've got a fair idea already what, what's going on with regards to, to different cultures.
0: How do you so, find unity in that? <laughs>
1: Man, the one thing, and, you know, and Nelson Mandela said back in the day, sport. Sport is one of the uh, unifiers. And it, it is, but it's also lately been um, a, a divisive tool. Um, but, but but we'll get on to that. Yeah. I remember b- back in the day, um, I was a youngster, still primary school, going going to, to secondary school. Yeah. Um, when when because I matriculated, I finished school in nineteen ninety four, the same okay. year that the first free and fair elections was held yeah. in South Africa. So just to give you an idea where I was placed. Okay. So, I mean, I can I can tell you, you can talk to most South Africans, um, uh, even white. Let's let's say most white South Africans, um, and they all will tell you that apartheid was wrong. I can't think yeah. of anybody that will say apartheid is right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of them will say yes, you know, I don't like the idea how they released or how they let go of apartheid. Some of them want to do it do it a little bit more gradually or whatever. Um but they all agree on one thing that yeah. it was wrong and it eventually should have stopped. So okay. yeah, th- there was no denying that.
0: Okay. Yeah. So
1: um so that's where we, we we get off, but I think something f- for me, um, you know, I've got I've got a, a background in in, in uh, the social sciences, so you know, I've, I've, my, my eyes got open a little bit when when we studied that as well. And for me, it's not it's not about a background, it's not about colour, it's not about anything it, apart from that. It is about the person. So nothing should stop me from. Uh, you know, talking to the person, letting, getting to know the person. Um, and and that's, that's the important bit for me, not, not, not color per se. And I think a lot of um, the white citizens in South Africa are at the point where they say, listen, yeah, we just want to get on with this. We want to get on with life. We don't care if we've got a black neighbor, a white neighbor, an Indian neighbor. Um, if we get along with him, we get along with him, not because he's white, not because he's black, but because we get along with the person and let's get on.
0: And that is typical of South Africans. It's not this. Uh, some people have the impression that, yeah, a- a- apartheid is, is over and done with, but there's still a lot of unrest between the races.
1: Um I'll tell you this much. Um, I I read an interesting statistic yesterday. um, And it's it's just to compare South Africa versus uh, the USA. There is currently more black people in prisons in the USA than there is is in South Africa.
0: And that's very telling. That's very telling.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So... um, and if you look at the makeup, um I think demographic wise the u s a is sitting more or less at about thirteen percent black correct or thirteen percent yeah thirteen yeah, percent black, and it's very difficult to say black, you know when in South Africa we've got a term colored, and colored is a specific, different kind of race if you want to go compared to black, so you've got colored, you've got Indian, you've got Asian now Indian. Most other countries fall under Asian, but not in South Africa. It's it was, something
0: totally within itself, yeah. Exactly.
1: So uh, as a fact, I mean uh, South Africa's got the biggest Indian community outside of India. And that oh, really? comes back from yes, that comes back from the old colonial days yeah, yeah. Um, where where they you know England brought brought in well they weren't called slaves, they were called endanger, endangered. Laborers. endangered in other servants. words. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's how they got in. So we've got all of these of these different ones so when you say colored it is mostly referred to um a community basically in cape town or that's where it originated where it was not black people per se um originally they were the original inhabitants of south africa so yeah. you've got all of these differ- different different uh, color groups where in america you've got white uh, uh you've got black and i think you've got hispanic and asian i think exactly that's, your, that's your, pretty your,
0: much yeah. it yeah and, and native american
1: oh sorry I yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, pretty much indian, it
0: yeah no, not,
1: <laughs> not, a, not Indian. indian. <laughs> 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 so, so so i think you've got all of this but even even to go back uh i mean when you when we say colored um when you say white if you go back in the genealogy and i can tell you there's not many people that is pure indian pure white pure colored exactly yeah so
0: yeah no, look, looking at my own background for example you know, I, i'm i'm on the outside, I'm going to be characterized as black, but there's much more than that in our bloodline. And then especially in my children, with my wife being a white Norwegian, of, of course. Yes. So, so yeah. So South Africa is kind of like me in a nutshell. It's just mixed with quite a bit and a lot of difference. Yes. Yeah.
1: So, so I would say it's not about the color of the skin. Um, when it comes to um, identifying, it's about your your heritage, your background, your I your see. culture. I um, see. So, so you will find, and in, in South Africa, and it sounds like we're extremely racist because we're talking about color. But it, I guess it's uh, no, I understand. Trying to define.
0: No, they yeah. Un- yeah, and my listeners understand, and if they don't, then they're not worthy to be listeners. They understand. <laughs> yeah. So uh,
1: just to give you a background, so uh, my wife is Indian. Okay, N- number one. So. Um, my I've got friends in Cape Town and um, they it's two brothers. The one is is dark dark skinned, the other one is lighter skinned, and then I've got another friend as well. So those two brothers are, are identify themselves as colored. Okay. And then my friend, my friend um, that I've known from school from a very young age is is white or would be characterized as white. But when we went down and I took my wife down to Cape Town, I didn't tell her who is white and who's colored. I just told them exactly like, and she couldn't identify who's who. Okay. So she was like, she was like, I thought he was colored and he was white. I said, no, yeah, you know, and, yeah. and that's why skin tone, it's you know, shouldn't, shouldn't play a role at all. Um, culture. Background, behavior, that's the important things that, you know, should be, should be uh, uh, a divisive or deciding factor when it comes to, do I like a person
0: or not? Yeah, you know, and that's it, it, it very well said. Uh, that's, that's what I base my, you know, whether or not I like a person, whether or not I can get along with a person, is how they behave. How are they treating me? How do I see them treating others? Because that's 100%. important also. I don't want you to be kind to my face, but then I see you being an ass to other people. That's, uh, exactly. That doesn't work.
1: Yes. I, I mean, there's the old adage of, I always look how people treat a waiter in a restaurant. Ah, yes. you know? and, and, and that's exactly it. Yeah. Um, there, there is nothing less humane than being a janitor or a cleaner than being the CEO. They are all humans. Yes, yeah. they've got different functions in society, but they're all humans and they should all be treated with decency at least. At least decency. You know, you don't have to love everybody, but at least some decency um, when, when, when treating them.
0: Very well said. Very well said. So um, your, your, your wife is Indian. Now how many generations yes. has her family been in South Africa?
1: Uh, I think they are, her grandmother was born here the previous, so her great-grandparents came from India.
0: Okay. That, that just surprises me that, there, that that South Africa has the highest populations of Indians outside of India. I would have always thought that would be Great Britain that would yeah. have the highest population. Yeah.
1: Funnily enough, um, you know, London itself, and I'm now talking on a country which I don't have a lot of knowledge, but what I've, you know, discovered that far is that... Uh, London has got, London itself, the city has got a lot of Indians, but the UK itself, not as much. Not, Fer- not as much. Freddie, can I
0: interrupt you one second? No problem. No, and this, this is important. sir you've got to call, uh, I I he's been trying to call me, I'm going to write his number down here. I'm sorry about this, Freddie. We just have, to, no, we just no have to give some information to my wife. Um, And I'm just going to let this be part of the podcast. I always tell people they're going to get the real organic (laughs) me. So when things like this happen, I just keep recording. You see the number there. I got some uh, powerlifting equipment delivered by a and there was a problem with the order. Oh Oh, yeah, absolutely. I tell you, I've, I've been, I don't know. How do I put this? There was a while at the beginning of the, the isolation from Corona where, it didn't bother me that much. It was actually nice to take a break from training.
1: Especially so cu- with the injuries that uh, that Exactly,
0: exactly. So a couple of weeks go by, and then I said, okay, it's time to start moving around. But the gyms were so close, so I started doing body weight exercises out in the garage. And that was going great, but then I got demotivated. And, and I stopped doing that. And then I was able, I was fortunate enough to get into a good deal with uh, with Eliko. Yeah, my wife says hi, by the way. <laughs> my wife says hi. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was uh, fortunate enough to get into a good deal with a Leico, So the first delivery of the equipment came uh, a couple days ago, and I, I couldn't be happier. It's, it's <laughs> I feel like it's life-changing to be able to go back and power lift a little bit. Even though I'm limited, I'm very limited with what yeah. I can do because of the shoulder. But just to have a competition rack, just to have an Leico bar, and it, it's, yeah.
1: So so the funny thing is when we hit lockdown, so, you know, I've got my own own uh, mixed martial arts gym. And I'm fortunate enough that this uh, mixed martial arts gym is in a big commercial gym. So, you know, I'm, I'm in the gym every single day. Yeah. So when this lockdown happened, it was very easy for me to go to the gym, take, bring some of the equipment back home and say, okay, you know, let's go on with life as normal. Yeah. But then then I decided, listen, as as a a personal trainer or, or, uh, you know, trying to to help people at home training as well, I should limit myself to the point where I don't have that kind of equipment because it's Ah. so easy to say, it is so easy to tell the guy, you know, do push-ups, do exactly like you said, you get frustrated because it's just not the same. So I decided, no, I need to do something at home with something that you can put in a crate and, and be able to have a workout from there. And one of the things that I have done over this lockdown period is widened my knowledge about how you can train with elastics, how you can train basically out of the boot of your car. To, don't get me wrong, it is never gonna be the same as powerlifting No, it but, never, it's better,
0: but it's better than nothing, you know. It's definitely better than nothing. And
1: if I look at being able to service my clients or service my athletes, I would be able to do something for them, that would suit them perfectly. So, yes, they could use weights as well as alternative, but this would be enough to get them in the shape that they need to be for their athletes for the sport or for their the needs.
0: Now, you sound like a very good trainer because a lot of trainers would kind of try to be the hard ass and and and, and insist that their clients continue with uh, the same kind of program or as close to it as they can, even though there's the coronavirus, and would maybe berate their clients because they're not doing what they're supposed to. But you kind of took it down to the level of reality and, 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 and you're laying it out there that people can adjust what they do based on the equipment that they have available during this during the crisis here
1: you know i'll tell you this so you know my and and you will know my my feelings on the coronavirus mama's i'm myself i i do not fear coronavirus i i think um i'm not i'm not saying i'm stupid but i I feel my immune system should
0: strong enough to fight it off yeah yeah
1: But I do believe and I do know, and I've got clients that are severe asthmatics. Um, So just because I don't have a fear or I don't feel threatened about it doesn't mean the people, in this case, my clients, do not feel threatened. And I think think we're going to go a long way um, with this epidemic, where people will be safe in the house or feel safe in the house and do not feel safe going to pubs, going yeah. to commercial gyms, yeah. going to you know big stage venues. And I'm, I'm, I know you, busy, you you do your stand up routines and you do music as well. So those things will change. I can tell you now, oh, absolutely, for the future, absolutely, it will definitely change. Yeah. So for me, it was able to not just during lockdown, but after lockdown, to be able to service a client that feels, I do not want to go out to a commercial gym, and all people that feel, listen, I do not have the time yeah. to go out to a commercial yeah. gym, but I do have an hour at home, and if somebody's willing to come to me and train me at home or show me what to do at home, I am willing to do that well, that's um, a
0: combination of good business sense but also compassion you know you're understanding the, uh, that other people uh, have more fear of the coronavirus than what you do and then a good 100%. business and then the good business sense is that you are simply giving them an offer so that you can still help them even though they have fear to the point where it's changing their training habits that's just yeah. a good, that's just a smart move by you
1: I, I mean I, I think for me it was it it, it's the way future gems are going to be um
0: things are changing I, yeah. I look at I look at how things are with uh with music uh I wonder if the main concert scene is going to be live streaming from now on yeah people have had to do that you know yeah um one thing you know you mentioned my stand-up I've gotten so many offers potential bookings to do stand-up um, live streaming and I've said no to that every time i I, I I have to have an audience there. I can't. I can't do stand up and and laugh by myself. I have to see that person's reaction. So I, who knows what's going to happen with stand up? Um, but uh, but but yeah, when it comes to mu- music and the whole in the in the training business and all that stuff, there's there's permanent change. I think permanent yeah. change. Well, well,
1: well I, th- I think you know. I feel. That- the same way that you'd feel about stand-up, I feel about training, especially on, in, in martial arts. A lot of people uh, switch over to the Zoom uh, platform yeah, and, you yeah. know, interactive training. And I think it's great um, to have a short video clip to explain a technique. I think that's great. Um, but as a replacement for, for teaching, very difficult. Yeah, Like you said, you, you need that interaction. I mean, if, if you think about it, if you have to tree, uh, teach somebody a, a proper squat over a video uh, format, <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be very. I'm not saying it's impossible.
0: It can be done, um, but there's so many things that come in the way of optimal training, of optimal exactly. instruction. Yeah, absolutely. And,
1: and and I think the platforms that we've got at the moment is not feasible to do it I, i'm not saying in future it won't be what i'm saying is at the moment it is not feasible the normal platforms that the people at home will yeah use. somebody's I mean,
0: out there somebody's out there trying to think of something new i'm sure elon musk who knows what that guy's <laughs> going to come up with when yeah. it comes to some some new type of uh i exactly. don't know maybe some sort of virtual virtual where people can connect virtual where you feel like you actually are there and yeah, you're seeing yeah, every. So. Who, who knows what's going to come
1: uh, you know, Elon Musk also a, a funny <laughs> character. One that you know is he, he, he was born in South Africa, yes, so yeah.
0: every,
1: every South African claims uh, their rights on, on Elon Musk. You
0: know, <laughs> oh, I knew him. Oh, I <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So you know, he, he's one of, he's one of the South African heroes. But you know, with regard to um, you know the interaction and whatever, there is now people that do surgeries across the world. So in other words, you've got a robot on the one side of the world and a surgeon sitting on the other side of the world and is doing surgery. So I'm definite that in future, yes, you will be able to, but the normal platforms I think we've got at the moment is still lacking a lot.
0: Absolutely. But I, but I think that technology will catch up with the situation eventually. It, all, it always sure. does. Sure. So it's going to be exciting to see what happens, but I just hope that it doesn't take the human element out of it because... A- again, with 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 stand up and, and especially, actually, especially with music, I have to have that feedback. I'm going to sing. 100%. I'm, I'm going to sing better if the audience, if I can feel that that feeling from them. I'm going to sing better. So. Yeah. I don't know. Well, we, we just have to wait and say, uh, give a call to Elon Musk. You know him, don't you? Give him a call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We were at school together. <laughs> <laughs> Let me so, ask you, but, when did you get into, when did, wh- what did you get into first? Was it, uh, bodybuilding and strength training or was it martial arts?
1: So, so my background, when it comes to sport, I am not the tallest of guys. I think we share that, uh, um, that characteristic. So I, I used to play a little bit of rugby at school. Um, you know, and it, it was a great sport, but I never had the stature to compete in the rugby at a higher level. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but I always wanted to be active. That was always something that that is probably something that uh, got passed down from my brother. So I decided when I was at university, I'm going to do triathlons. Okay. So in, wow. in, in, in Cape Town, in South Africa, wintertime is cold, cold, windy, wet. Um, so summertime great to train triathlon. But in time, you know, you can't train outside. Yeah. So then I mm-hmm. hit the gym. So I hit the gym and I started enjoying the gym. And um, over a period of time, you know, for six, seven months, I was in the gym. And then one of my friends uh, came to me and says, listen, but why don't you compete in bodybuilding? I said, no, man, I'm training for triathlons. He says, but you have packed on so much muscle from just this little period that you've trained. I think you will actually do well in in." in uh bodybuilding
0: now, how so, old uh, how old were you at this time um, that
1: was about 20 yeah 1920 that okay. was about okay. yeah. so yeah. so then what happened is i went to go and compete in my and my first few bodybuilding courses and it, it went well i i think i've got i must go and check in my cupboard i've got a national colors junior um okay. for, for, for bodybuilding so that was under, I think, at that stage, under twenty-three. We're now going back a couple of years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you know, I, I enjoyed it, but I also realised it—it is a lifestyle. You know, bodybuilding—it oh, yeah. it is a big lifestyle, and I've still got friends that compete in it, and I still know a lot of people on the scene. But it—it it, it is a lifestyle change. And yeah, I yeah. was at the point. I was at the point where I'm telling myself, "Listen, yeah, I don't know if I want to do this lifestyle." And I remember I was at one uh, contest where. I won't say sure I was robbed, but you know there was some some funny things with regards to the placing. But my one friend, who eventually is a, became a very high level bodybuilder, got robbed on judging, uh-huh. and I was like, "Bugger this! I am done with with uh, you know people sitting in front of judging um, on on something. I'm switching over to powerlifting." And my friend said to me, "You come come to powerlifting. We've seen the weights that you handle in the gym. With a little bit of effort, you can go to powerlifting." I so. See. Then I did powerlifting. Eventually, my weight ballooned up to a massive weight. I couldn't. I couldn't run on the beach. I couldn't because oh, wow. I walked. Yeah, I walked around at 123 kilos. Not necessarily fat, um, but you know, too much for my joints. That it is. It, is it, that is a lot of
0: weight jaunt. for your height. It is. Yes. Yeah. So I, I was strong,
1: you know. I enjoyed. I still had some of my biggest weights that I pulled was at that weight. So yeah. I was happy, happy there. But then I realised, you know, this will impact my life further on. And I went back to one of my friends who I used to do martial arts with, um, and he actually also did bodybuilding, but left very early on. Okay. And I went went back to him. Uh, his name was Rikaat. And went back to him. I said, listen here. Um, I've done muay thai before, um, but now I've, where I used to compete muay thai uh, mid seventies, eighty kilos. Now I'm walking around way over hundred kilos. I can't just do muay thai anymore. My 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 body is now not uh, uh, yeah. perfect for that yeah. anymore. So he said, "Come, let's do this jujitsu thing." And it jiu-jitsu. was brand new okay. at that. Yeah, and I remember he was he was only a blue belt back then. Um, but he was the only blue belt that we had in in, in Cape Town. Okay. So yeah, we started training with him, and, you know, he was he's, he's a phenomenal athlete, very good um, a wrestler as well, um, and that's where I started in the sport. And then I realized at 123, no matter how good my cardio is, you will not get to the third round of that. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then eventually he started cutting down, and I, I think my last fight that I competed in was 112 kilos. Okay, um, yeah. So yeah. since then I've dropped quite a bit I'm walking around about 107 now because I'm an old man and I've got kids that I need to play with uh, in the garden and stuff so
0: <laughs> hey man don't call yourself old because I think I'm a little bit older than you so you're going to have me questioning it myself <laughs>
1: I, I, it's not always about chronological age it's about sometimes about mileage and I think That's my true, mileage is high. Yeah.
0: well it's time to park this car in the garage and let that mileage stay the same for a while it's a classic it's now a classic <laughs>
1: don't, dro- don't drive it as often
0: as you used to so so you uh so you you jump into the world of jiu-jitsu um you have a few competitions what is it that led you to being a referee or what's the proper term judge or referee Um, official 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 Official. what led you to being uh, an official for the mma for mma
1: so the funny thing is, I I became an official, and I think the the federation is now defunct. The IFBB. Yes. Uh, yeah. I agree. IFBB. So I was, yeah, I was official for them as well. Okay. Um, for yeah. bodybuilding, yeah. Um, it's just when when I do something, I completely immerse myself in it. It's it's just the way I am. Yeah. So. You know, I will not do bodybuilding if I don't get to diet and all of that and and study that. And so it was the same when it came to 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 bodybuilding. I was like, okay, well, these guys are going to judge me. I need to know what they're going to judge me on. Um, so that's what happened. So the same. Very thing smart. When, that's a good strategy. Yeah. yeah. So when I went into uh, mixed martial arts, I was like, okay. So I need to know exactly what I could do and what I can't do and what's the limits and where can I push the limits with regards to rules. And then, you know, as I said earlier with the, with regards to mileage, I got injured in, uh, in training and my coach at that stage said to me, listen, well, um, can you still walk? I said, I can still walk, but, you know, there's no kicking happening with this, with this leg. He says, well, we're short of a referee. You know the rules. Why don't you come in a referee? So, well, you know, I still love the sport. It's not like a, a, let's do it. And I think that was 2009, okay. 2008, 2009 yeah. that th- th- then happened. And it was a small show. Uh, I, You know, I, referred, I enjoyed it. I'm like, oh, it's great. You know, I'm still at least part of the sport. And at that stage, I had to go for a knee operation. Um, went for the knee op, came back, and I'm like, my knee is not the same. Yeah. I'm now in my in my mid-30s. Um, I'm never gonna be a UFC star. So I need to make I need to make tough calls at the moment. And I'm like, I'm still gonna train, but I'm not gonna compete anymore. So but I still want to be part of the sport. So that's that's how so that's, I got into officiation. So
0: so that means you have true passion for the sport. If you, you 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 couldn't just drop out of it. You have to stick with it in the form of being an official then.
1: You know, it, it is something that happened when I was competing and at that stage in South Africa, but in the world as well, you know, the 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 rules of the sport was not clearly defined, um, and it was different from one competition to another competition. Yes, and yeah, I, I remember yeah, those days. Yeah. Yes, and and I was like, you know, these athletes, number one, train exceptionally hard. Number two, they put their life on the line. And those days was amateur amateur shows to us. They put their life on the line for wow. zero money. Um, At the, the 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 least they deserve is a competent official. Um, yeah. and and that's why I said, okay, well, there's still some of my friends competing in this. Let me become a competent official. And maybe, maybe we can get some other competent officials and lift the sport out of it. I see. And, yeah. and, and that that's where we went. So
0: Well you you're part of a big organization, the EFC. I mean that covers all of Africa. That's a lot well, of well, that's a lot of potential fighters.
1: You you know, I think um, if you look at the UFC at the moment, there's a lot of um, African-born fighters coming through now. Uh, Kamara Usman, um, you know, I'm a brilliant example. Um, So there's a lot of them coming through and I think Africa is an untapped market with regards to athletic ability. um there's there's certain countries like uh, the congo i've got i've got a few of my friends congolese and fighters man they have got genetics
0: yeah you guys have quite a few congolese uh fighters in the efc and yes Yes. there seems to be something special about them they have a certain level of of athleticism they have a certain amount of ferocity and focus that i uh, of course you have other fighters who have that as well but it just seems to be more prevalent in the, the fighters from the Congo. Very, it's very interesting. You. Very interesting.
1: Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this much. Uh, very passionate people, you know, and now we're generalizing, but, you know, in general, very mm. passionate people, and they love that. The men love fighting. Yeah. And it, it, it is something that they also grow up with. Yes. You, you, are, you will be hard pressed to find a uh, uh, 30 year old Congolese that hasn't done either judo. Boxing in in his life, and it it is advocated like we would do rugby in South Africa as a sport, right? Right, that's they would they They do fighting or so, yeah, that's it. So, in the culture. Exactly. And also because they are a war-torn country or was a war-torn country, I think that that strategy is, you know, and and that being a warrior is still in their their DNA.
0: Well, it it, it definitely brings some somewhat of a different mindset, you know, when it's been it's been so much warfare there that's going to have some sort of trickle down effect in the society, which is going to give them a different mindset when it comes to combative sports.
1: Exactly, yeah. um, and, and you know, it, it, it is it is a fact we look at it and um, me and the wife were lying in bed the other day and watching the, the last uh, UFC that was on, and a Brazilian, um, Burns, fought extremely well, and she's like, but why are the Brazilians so good? Yeah. I said, it's a simple reason, they've got a pick of two sports, either football or MMA to get them out of the favelas, to get them out of poverty. It's the same in the Congo. You know, that is one of the ways they get themselves.
0: One of the the ways to get out, Yeah, yeah. That's
1: it. So you, they are literally fighting for their life.
0: What's what's happening with uh, one that comes to mind is Champion Dolce, who went over to the UFC. How yes. is he doing there now? I haven't heard anything. So he had
1: his first fight in the UFC, scored a massive knockout because um, yeah. he's a powerful guy. He's I did see that. I did. Powerful.
0: Yeah, I saw that on YouTube yeah. afterwards. Yeah. And and then you know the UFC
1: is not is not Mickey Mouse at all. Um, no, no. So it's the luck of the draw when you have your first fight because it's unknown against the unknown entity. Yeah. Um, and and sometimes you, you you get the best of it, like champion yeah. did. But yeah. once you move to the second tier, that entity is now not as unknown. Yeah. He's definitely won one or two fights in in the UFC. Um, so champion got up to a guy, and I think he got knocked out eventually. Um, in the ah. second round.
0: Yeah. See, I, I almost, I almost shouldn't have asked because I have this, I have, I have this image of him being indestructible. I, I've, I've seen every fight that he's had in the EFC, and yes. the guy just appears to be inhuman. He appears to be indestructible. So shame on me for asking. I didn't want to hear that he, that he got knocked out.
1: Yeah, not, it's one of. The, uh, MMA is one of these sports, um, it develops uh, very rapidly. And as an athlete, you should develop as well. And nothing pushes you harder to learn and acquire new skills than a loss. Yeah. You know. Um, so I think he's going to definitely come back stronger and better. Uh, well, he's definitely not a quitter. Work. He's got heart like no. you wouldn't believe. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's a lot of stubbornness. You
0: know, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Aren't they the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> true,
1: true. So I mean, I, I, I've seen guys, and I remember I refereed the fight, and I, his opponent was still very upset about it. Um, and it, it's something that uh, Big John McCarthy, the UFC referee, said, and it's something that Mark Goddard reiterated as well, also UFC. And the thing is, what they say is, if you are still in the fight. They will let the fight go on. So that you know, that is yes. one of my mantras as a referee. So if I can if I look in your eyes and you are looking back at this opponent and saying, I am still gonna beat you, I am still in this fight, I will let it go. And yeah. you know, it's it's basically you have to switch switch his lights off yeah. before yeah. he's not in the fight anymore. Yeah. That's the only way you get him out of the fight.
0: <clears throat> I think I know what fight you're referring to. I saw that, and there was a lot of controversy uh, uh, about that. But I, I, the way I always look at it is, it's one thing to be watching these things on TV, but you guys are right there on the ground, right? You're literally catching their blood and sweat on your, <laughs> on your shirt front as, <laughs> yes. as this is going on. So you see their eyes. You see how much they They are. You see if they're starting to fade out, you see if they're still there. And for the audience or for the public to second guess you guys' decisions on whether or not a fight is stopped, I think they're overstepping their boundaries. I think they're putting emotion into it, whereas you guys are standing right there, right in the middle of it, and you see the facts.
1: So you know the, the one thing is, and it, it's very difficult. So you know, it, it is something that all referees will echo: is sometimes you have to protect a fighter from himself. Hmm. Where the you, you don't enter a sport like MMA being a quitter, you know. So a lot of the times the referee has to rescue you from yourself because you do not know when to quit. I see. So, okay. Yeah. So that, happen, that happens a lot of the time. But your fans that are sitting in the seats do not want to see their fight no. to lose. They do not want mm-hmm. to see the fight to lose, mm-hmm. but once once you've you've dealt with fighters uh, dealing with CTE and and you know yeah. brain damage and yeah. and all of that, you've always got that in the back of your mind. So you you want to give the fighter the most opportunity and, and every single second for him to, to to come back. Right. But you also right. have to keep that back in their mind. So I'm not saying we always make the right calls. But I can honestly say with any official that I've worked, none of the officials have made a call apart from basing it on the safety of the fighter. Sometimes we can say, maybe the guy could have taken two more shots. Agreed. He He could have taken two more shots. But that referee or that official made the call, you know, with... The safety, 100%, 100%. the safety
0: of that fighter in their mind, yeah.
1: 100%. But you
0: guys have a rough job. Like I told you before, I don't, I don't, it's hard for me to put words on it, but, but you portray a certain amount of... It's, it's a strange combination that I see in you and other referees or, or officials. It's a combination of awareness, authority, uh, compassion... I I don't know how to put it into words, but you guys have such an important job because you literally have the safety of these guys. I mean, it's a brutal sport, and you guys have their safety in your hands. Uh, Do you ever, have you ever been in a situation or ever officiated a fight where it did something to you emotionally?
1: Uh, I can tell you I mean uh, that's a tough
0: question to answer maybe I'm kind (laughs) of I'm kind of digging digging on your heart a little bit but (laughs) no
1: I I can tell you so you know the events would normally finish at about 12 o'clock at night sometimes just after 12 Mm o'clock and then you you go to your hotel room if you are if you have travel or you go back to your house. Um, and I would come home to my to my family and they would be how was it, we're going to bed and I wouldn't be able to sleep because okay. you are going to run every decision still passed in your mind and if you don't do that then you're not passionate enough about the sport and you shouldn't be official
0: very um, well said
1: so you're going to run and there is I mean there is a few uh, fights that I've had in my mind and you know, the one is, is probably a sexist comment, but but I'm going to say it because I didn't... It was two female fighters, and it was basically... The difference was stopping it one punch earlier or one punch later. And the, the punch that landed was so vicious, was so hard, that it basically... Um, turned the neck of the of the opponent into complete nothingness, like ah. butter, like rubber. And it, it, it is an image that is still haunting me in my head when I saw that the head bounce off from the side. And I'm like, I should have stopped that earlier. But if you don't look at the replay, stopping it earlier would have been the wrong call as well. I understand. So, it's a
0: fine line. It's a fine line you it, have to it balance. Is, it really is. Which, it which, really is. which fight was that?
1: That was uh, Jackie Troisi, if I'm not mistaken, against Amanda Lino.
0: Demolitions, um, Jackie, and a man, uh, yeah, yeah There we go. I, rem- yeah. I remember so, that fight. Yes.
1: Yeah, and you know, we as a as a official, you try and be impartial, but you cannot help but learning or, or getting to know the fighters because you with them, you with oh, them, yeah. and you make calls with them. So. We don't do not harbor as official, we do not harbor any vengeance against any fight. And you get to know, and you're like, Man, I get to know these two people that's now going to face off against each other. They're both really exceptional human beings. I don't want any one of these to lose. Um, But there has to be a winner, there has to be a loser. And I can tell you this much I pray every time before I walk into the ring for the stoppage. Do not be me doing a stoppage. I would like to see a tap. I would like, you know, a clear stoppage. All the way to,
0: a com- to completion without you having exactly. to stop it. Yeah, I understand. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because I think every athlete
1: deserves a clear and concise finish um, to go back and say to the drawing board, this is what I've done wrong or this is what I've done right. But if they had that in their mind where they go back and they say, their official was shocking. I could have done better. If they, I, I, I don't want to be that official. No. I never want to be that official. Sometimes you are. Um, Yeah. But, you know, I I try and not be. I I hope that I can see a clear tap, the fight is over, and everybody agrees that's the way it goes. So it's
0: not just some meathead sport. There's a lot of thought that's put into what you do as an official. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of technical skill and whatnot. And that's what I want to get out there for people to understand. It's not just a couple of guys or ladies rolling around on the mat beating each other up, and there's somebody there to break it up if it gets too bad. That's not what it is. There's so much rules. There's so much precision in the way you have to make your decisions
1: exactly i mean um you see when, when it comes to the the medical protocol is really really on par with any other promotion that's on there and i can say that um, because i've been to the ufc i've been i yeah. can i can tell you um it is on par um and you know that's brilliant we, we need to have that there um but when it comes to about the meathead sport, I can tell you, we've got doctors competing. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Danella, uh, she, I mean, she's a psychiatrist. Yeah, she should exactly. Have had a, she, exactly. She, she should have a head red for competing <laughs> in the sport. Um, we've got Bulmi. Um, she's an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, right? so, yeah, So we've got all of these. So it's not a meathead sport.
0: What about… I'm not uh, saying
1: it's a rational sport, but it's <laughs> not a meathead sport.
0: Well, even the highest educated man or woman has moments of savagery. So exactly. <laughs> We have to we have to we have to let it out at some point, you know, yes, let, let me ask you about a fighter De Marte Pena Yes, is he is he gone? Uh, he He's he's I understand there was some controversy there and We don't have to talk about that if you don't want to but is he finished yeah. is he finished in the EFC? Or is he is there an avenue for him to come back?
1: So I'll tell you this, uh, I know the for a couple of years before the EFC even existed. Okay, um, yeah. So the one thing I can tell you about De Mart is he's always been a gentleman. Um, he seems to be, out, yeah. Outside of the cage, always a gentleman, um, great fighter as well, great athlete, uh, hard worker. So yeah. what, what happened is he tested positive for a bad substance yeah okay you refuted that allegation um, and i don't know if it's true or not i'm never going to go and ask a guy you know if it's true or not no so but i know what they did say is it was tainted supplements so they sent in the supplements and you would know with in powerlifting as well you've got WADA which yeah. is the world anti-doping agency but then you've got your local agencies feeding into WADA so in South Africa it's SAIDS, South African anti-doping <clears throat> agency yes so he sent the, the the samples of the products that he used then SAIDS locally found that it was a tainted sample. They stripped him of his title, but say it was not his fault, it was a tainted sample. I see, yeah. So, then what happened is, he says, okay, well, uh, uh, title is stripped, but I'll come back and fight for the title again. Subsequently, he did that. But, you know, And that was a great fight, by the way. That's it. And no. a bureaucracy takes time. So, yes. what eventually happens is Wada turned around after that fight and said, Listen here, yeah, on that initial incident, we do not agree with Sage on this. We are saying he should have been found guilty. Really? So, so it was, he was caught once for tainted supplements yeah. and he was stripped twice because of it. Wow.
0: <laughs> wow. So, yeah. I don't want to so, badmouth Wada, but that's a strange decision.
1: Yeah, so they, they overruled the local yeah. uh, authority on that. Wow. Um, so, and, and subsequently, there's been a few other calls like that as well uh, in South Africa with regards to sites and, and, and water.
0: So is he so, under suspension now? No,
1: he's retired. Um, he's, he's retired. He's running, yeah, he's running his own gym. Um, and he also started his own promotion. So he's doing amateur oh, really? promotion. So, so he's putting a lot back into the
0: sport. Um, he seems to be a highly educated, very thoughtful person. So I, I think he's going to do quite well with whatever he decides to do.
1: You know, as I say, I, I don't think he's a stupid human being at all. He's always been a gentleman. He knows how to treat people. And I think if he puts his mind to it, he will definitely be yeah, successful at
0: yeah. it. Interesting. I just thought I'd ask about him. It just kind of fell into my head that I hadn't seen him uh, on on any of the EFC productions in quite yes. some time, so I just thought he, to ask.
1: He does some color commentary for the EUC every now and again. Yes, he does. Well. Yeah, yeah, He's an eloquent speaker.
0: yeah, um, yeah absolutely. And, yeah. yeah. So. And see, he seems to have a good sense of humor too. He's not afraid to yeah. laugh once in a while.
1: So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that's a nice a nice thing about the sport. And I think you can say the same about Parlof. <laughs> you meet people that you would not have met
0: if oh, it wasn't yeah. for the sport. Absolutely. The, the time when I was on the U.S. Uh, Masters national team and I got to to travel and uh, meet people. Uh, you know, I'm in such a weird situation living here in Norway, but I was on the national team. So, so I didn't get to meet some of those team members and get to know them like I wanted to. Um, we had the North American Championships uh, in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And I got to meet the team there. And it was just yes. such a great experience to meet them, to hang out with them, and, and broaden my horizons when it comes to, to powerlifting, because this was very early in my powerlifting career. I mean, I'm an older guy, but I've only been powerlifting competitively since 2015.
1: But you've been training for years. But I've been training
0: for years. Tra- well, well, I'm lucky. I, I think I told you the story of, I was a bodybuilder uh, there in Chicago uh, at Quad's Gym. <laughs> Uh actually not the one in Chicago, but the one on the South in the South Suburbs Quads Gym. And my good friend Ed Cohen trained there. And the agent,
1: absolute legend.
0: Oh gosh. And and you know what? Besides him being the power lifter that he is, the human being that he is 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 to me is 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 even greater. He's one of the nicest, sweetest, most gentlemanly and giving people. He 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 helped me try to help my son. Who was in the middle of some addiction problems and ed did a couple of things to try and help me out with that And that just shows what kind of person he is so above and beyond the part of He's a good man <clears throat> But anyway, I was training as a bodybuilder at that gym And he was so kind as to invite me in to powerlift with him and his crew So that's where I got the fundamentals of especially of my squat and deadlift. That's from training with him Yes, and uh, so I had uh, I had that bodybuilding physique, but I had that powerlifting strength, and I've just built on that through the years. And it got to the point where uh, Ed Cohen's wife, actually, she's the one that introduced me to my wife. They've been okay. friends. They've been friends since they were kids. Uh, But Ed Cohen's wife is also one of my best friends and she's the one that convinced me finally after years of telling me that I should powerlift She she finally convinced me to jump into powerlifting. So I did that in 2015 And it just and it just took off because I already had that foundation based on those concepts that I learned from Ed before
1: yeah. You know, if, if you go back to, to bodybuilding, I, I remember uh, squatting and all of that. And up to a certain level, then the bodybuilders will tell you, stop squatting. It's, it's <laughs> yes. Wide- yes, yeah, It's widening your waist. It's whatever. And I was stupid enough back in those days as well. I, I was like, no, but I enjoy squatting. And that's probably one of the reasons why I had to go to powerlifting as well. But you you getting that uh, technique and that foundation with Ed Cohen, I mean, I think you it prepared you beautifully for both both avenues, powerlifting and and bodybuilding.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It's definitely a blessing that I that I ran into him all those years ago, and and uh, to still be to still be friends with him to to this day, and to be. Practically best friends with his wife, uh, my wife and I, we fight about who is best friends with Ed's <laughs> wife. <laughs> so, so it's, it's just it's a nice, you know, our, our yeah. my my kids almost look at her as as an aunt, and and yes. my son, the one that passed, really looked up to Ed back in the day. So it's a, it's a little it's a, it's a tight connection there, yeah. and that's the beauty of of sports. There's, exactly. there's, the, you know, again, it's not just this meathead thing where you know it's all blood and guts and sweat and tears. That's part of it as well. But there's also the emotions. There's also the friendships that you build and all of that. Now, you have a background in in um, did you sports psychology? Is that it?
1: No, uh, no. I've, I've got a, a background in psychology and sociology. So
0: okay, and that, you apply that yeah. uh, education to to sport yes. sports activity. Okay, yeah. So so, so you know what, what I'm what talking about.
1: Yes, so so now what I want to do is, I mean, I've seen, I've done the sports side of it, the sports science side of it, but I've also done psychology, but I've realized, you know, I, I can get my guys fit, I can get them the best technique, but they're still a chink in their armor, if they walk on their way to that cage and they are not mentally in the right frame of mind. Doesn't matter how fit they are, doesn't matter how good they are, they will not win that fight. And as a referee, I see it many times. I would have refereed a guy three or four times, and get his demeanor get his body language and then one evening I would referee him again and look at him and I'm like something is off
0: you can see Um, it in his eyes yeah you you can see it in his demeanor
1: you can see how he's prancing up and down you can see how he holds his head and those things all tell you there's something different it might not always be negative but there's always you can pick it there's something different
0: I see that in powerlifting if I'm watching a powerlifting competition especially in the squat and the deadlift you can almost see it in that lifter's eyes as they approach the bar whether or not they're going to make that lift, because a lot of it has to do with confidence. And if they're lacking confidence in that moment, you will see it in their demeanor.
1: Exactly. I mean, if if you walk on there and, you know, if you walk onto that weight and you do not feel confident, you do not have the almost utmost extreme confidence that that bar will lift. Then you, you, you might as well turn around and not even attempt that lift if there's even a shadow of a doubt you've you 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 are not making that lift
0: Yeah, you, can, you can't be afraid of uh, you can't be afraid of that lift uh, no. I'll I never mean, I, I'll never forget that feeling I miss that I need to get back I need to get back on the platform. I may have maybe a 20 kilo bench, but I want to get that 360 kilo squat
1: we do what we can do. That's what I've learned. Exactly.
0: Exactly. That's, and that's what I say to people. They, say, they ask me, "Aren't you are, are you finished now with powerlifting? No, far from it. Eventually, yeah. I'll get my shoulder to a point where I can tolerate having a straight bar on my back, and then I'm going to be yes. right back in it. I won't be able to bench, but I can still squat right. and deadlift. Got to so, do what so, I can.
1: Yeah. So, if I might ask, what what is the prognosis now on your shoulder? Because I mean, I've been following your training, and it, it's been inspirational for me. Number Thank one, you. you're a little bit you're a little bit older than me, and number two, you've got. I mean, I've got injuries, you've got injuries, but you've got currently dealing with a severe injury yes. that you know inhibits all of your movement with regards to powerlifting. Um, my
0: my I mean, injury. Difficult. Yeah, this is very difficult. This uh, you know, and and then there's a psychological. Uh, um, uh, part of me that's been affected besides the physical part of this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about that now. This this shoulder injury is it is extremely Brutal <laughs> I am currently the only patient in Norway who has had this type of operation What they did was there's a doctor at the Mayo Clinic in the United States who found uh, who invented a new procedure where they take an Achilles tendon from a cadaver
1: Okay, good cadaver at least.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and they, uh, and they place it in place of, if you know anatomy, which I'm sure you do, but for the listeners, yeah. uh, there is a series of muscles in the rotator cuff, and one of them is the infraspinatus.
1: Yeah, and the biggest culprit when it comes to shoulder injuries.
0: Yes, now my, now I have a ruined infraspinatus and a supraspinatus, both of them are gone, <laughs> And yeah. my terrace minor is, it's still there, but it's ineffective.
1: Hanging so, on a thread.
0: Hanging on a thread and, and dead material, na- narcosis, um, or what do you call that, Necro- necrosis around it. Yeah. And um, so this Achilles tendon has been, what they did, they took my trapezius on my left side and they sliced it in half.
1: Oh, that sounds brilliant!
0: Attached, uh, you can see in the camera now. I'm not raising my left arm. I can't. I can't do it. And then attached that Achilles tendon there, and wrapped it around to the front of my of my shoulder, and that Achilles tendon is supposed to replace all of the function of the infraspinatus and the teres minor.
1: Okay, And I, I mean, you you rotate the cuff. The the function of that is to keep your shoulder in position, um, and that's why you've got three through the rotation to keep it. It's not to lift anything. It's just to keep it in position. It's just for
0: stability, yeah. That's it. So you could say I have zero stability, and that's why I don't have... It could be that I have the strength to raise my left arm over my head, but because it's so unstable unstable i can't even begin that motion to raise my left arm over my head and then all inward and outward rotation i have none of that so the Mm -hmm. idea is that i will somehow be able to 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 activate that achilles tendon so that it will function as a stabilizer and as a fulcrum for rotation in my shoulder the problem is is because that's foreign material it's from a cadaver Yes. My brain does not have the neurological signals, the electricity, if you will, to yes. activate that. So that's what we've been doing ever since uh-huh. the, appar- the operation was the 28th of May last year.
1: And that's I still- a year.
0: It's a full year and it's been pain the entire time. Now I, I walk around without any pain medication because I, I hide meds. yeah you know I, I need to feel what's going on back there and that's partly so that I don't overtrain because if I numb the pain I might overtrain exactly uh, but it's also just the 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 what it does to my head if it's a strong pain I don't want to be sleepy I want to be functional yeah. and all that stuff. So that's the situation with my shoulder, but but my goal is, uh, again, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to bench more than maybe 50 kilos at some point. But I just want to get my stability back so I can get under the squat bar again and be yes. able to deadlift and, as well.
1: And, and get the, the, the mobility and the movement in there. Yeah,
0: yeah because um, as it is now, I have no, mobili- no mobility yeah. at all, no stability at all. So it's been a fight. Uh, that's been my job basically. that's been my training routine for the last year is physical therapy sometimes three days a week, sometimes three times a day i'll just I'll just camp out at the hospital and bring a book to read and some lunch and i I do an hour long or i'm sorry um like a twenty minute long session with an hour long break and then I go back yeah so that's it's been a very intense round, but the benefit is that I am the only patient. It's almost like I'm the experiment i'm the yeah. I'm the, I'm the science rat.
1: <laughs> and they look after you because they want to be able to prove contact. Exactly.
0: That's what I was going to get to is I'm getting so much follow-up. I got a, a lot of experts around me. My physical therapist is a genius. The surgeon herself is a genius. And I have kind of an unusual amount of contact or an unnormal amount of contact with the surgeon because she really wants to know how things are going. So I've got a good team around me. And that's what it is. It's a team. So I'm fortunate in that sense
1: yeah yeah uh, i I remember when when you know in the sport the sports that we compete in contact sports and and and, and, powerlifting and all the injuries happen and, and some of them are a little bit more permanent than others yeah and when when, when I tore my pick um, it was it, it was it was a severe injury for me. I've, I've torn bicep partially. I've torn calf partially, partially. But when I tore my pec, it was it was bad. And you knew that was
0: something different then. Oh, yeah.
1: And th- they gave me pain meds. Um, now I must at uh, trans What was it? I must get onto the name, but also extremely strong. Yeah. And they they were telling me three a day, you know, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And I took it for the first two days. And after that I'm like, no, I'd rather live with the pain yeah. than living with this this haze in your head. It's it, it was
0: They put me on crazy. oxy uh oxy I don't know if it was oxycontin or oxy normal oxy something or that a strong opiate. Yeah. Uh, after this last uh, operation. Now, I stayed at the hospital for two days. So during those two days I was pretty doped up and that was yes. actually fine. <laughs> (laughs) I needed, I needed that. (laughs) And when I came home, they expected me to take those opiates for anywhere from four to six weeks. I took them for two more, two more days after I was home. And then I quit because I needed to, I, you know, to me, the healing process started already when I came home and I can't, I can't heal properly if I can't feel what's going on. Exactly. But it's also the mental side. I cannot numb my mind. I need to begin to visualize my recovery. And I couldn't do that under medicine.
1: And it's also, as a power lifter and as a bodybuilder, the mind-muscle connection, you lose that with that haziness yes. in your head, that, that mind-muscle connection will, will not happen. I remember now, I was on uh, Tramacet. Uh, Tramacet was a pain medication that was on. Okay, also an yeah. opiate. Um, and <laughs> you know i've still got it actually somewhere in the house and i'm like i will never take this again i don't know for what why am i keeping it maybe if one day i'm dying i'll i'll take that
0: just to <laughs> numb the <pain> in that. <laughs> well i tell you i'm very wary i'm very careful when it comes to uh, to opiates even when it's you know at the suggestion of my of my surgeon because I, it's, it's just a nasty medicine. You look at the problem in, in the United States, there's not much talk about it now, but opiates are, are, are destroying people over there. And, um, and, and over the counter opiates. Yeah, exactly. Know, the, yeah. And, not the recreational type. And my son's my son's addiction was to to heroin, but he also would get a hold of these prescription you know uh, um, doctor prescribed opiates and whatnot It's It's a evil medicine I mean it has yeah. its purposes obviously but but it's so easy to abuse so I've always you know irregardless of my son's uh, addiction problem, I've always shied away from that medication' it's just too scary it's too too easy to get addicted to it.
1: A uh, very easy, and you know, part, partly is because your body is readily accepting it. They yeah. got receptors everywhere, um, and your body likes it. Oh well, <laughs> <that's the> problem.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can like, like I said, those uh, I was in the hospital for two days after that operation, and it felt pretty doggone good to be dope. I mean, and you and you, <laughs> you know, it, and it is funny. We can laugh about it, but but seriously though, it feels good. That opiate rush, that 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 feeling of tranquility and. Other worldliness, I mean, it's too easy to, to fall into that. And all of a sudden you're an addict.
1: I can tell you a funny story. Um, when me and the wife started dating, the first official date that we went on, we went quad biking. Um, and it wasn't probably the greatest thing to go and do and she she had a bit of a nasty accident and a bit of a nasty tumble with a with a quad bike and She as the quad bike rolled, she put her hand out and she's a small human being She's not a big uh, yeah. person at all and she puts her arm out and the quad bike rolled over her arm She snapped ah. She snapped the arm clean and dislocated the shoulder and got concussion oh, now boy we probably had a 30k off-road track to get back onto the main road to get to the hospital. And I remember remember when we got to the hospital, she was in this uh, jacket and the doctors were trying to remove the jacket. And I'm like, you're not gonna be able to remove the jacket. And they eventually cut it off. And this was on a Sunday afternoon. And they said to me, the surgeon will only be here on Monday afternoon. We will have to give her some pain meds. I'm like, well, give (sighs) her something. And I could see, I mean, she was being strong, but I could see the tear running out of her eye. And I said, geez, just give her something. And they injected uh, morphine. Ah. And as they injected morphine, I saw her eyes cross and I saw this dry smile on her face. And I'm like, okay, she's content now. <laughs> and, 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 you know, because of the two days of morphine she was on, she quit smoking. Oh really? That craving was gone because the, you know, the morphine it, it replaced it. Yeah,
0: completely, completely, and that's how strong it is. It's a scary. It's a scary drug. I mean, it's a necessary drug in certain medical situations, but it is scary. I mean, it feels so good. Um, exactly.
1: And, uh, and you, you, you have to realize, we do powerlifting and we train, and you know we release endorphins. And yeah. the, the 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 morphine goes to exactly the same yes. receptors. So we are happy with that that uh receptors being fulfilled
0: that is an advantage that uh i am very well aware of um one of the things i do in preparation for not, not even just in preparation for a powerlifting competition but for for training uh let's say i'm on I'm, I'm training on a 12-week cycle and i'm at week eight so the weights are starting to get heavy I will go through a mental exercise to psych myself up. I'll visualize the lift uh, as if I'm lifting it in a competition, and I get that adrenaline rush. And it it can very easily I can very easily say that it feels exactly the same as getting an intravenous dose of an opiate after an operation. It is exactly. the exact same It doesn't last feeling. as long. No, it, it doesn't, doesn't last, last as, long. as long, but when it, when it hits you, that, it, it, that little five second, I'm actually getting it now, yeah. just talking about <laughs> it. <laughs> <Goosebumps>. <laughs> yeah, and it, But, it, but it, it might last for about five, five seconds. Yeah. And it's an it's I tell you, it's an art form for an athlete, uh, because imagine if as a power lifter, uh, like what I do, I can call up that feeling as I approach the bar and I complete the lift. Exactly. And what a kick it gives. It, it, I, I bet it I bet it adds at least 10 kilos to any lift I do. 100 <laughs> yeah. percent.
1: Now, you know, the, the funny thing is um, when you go uh, and you go back to, to mixed martial arts um, as an athlete winning, you know, you go through your five, three rounds or your five rounds and you win that fight. It is an emotional high. It is a physical high that it is very difficult to explain to anybody. And I think, you know, when we talk about meetings in the sport, people do not realize how powerful and how strong that feeling is. Yes. And where we're talking now about five, ten seconds feeling, I think for an uh, uh, athlete like that, it boosts even more because the crowd is going crazy. You come home, everybody's on a high. Um, But then you look at the inverse of that. When your receptors are ready to get that feeling and you have a loss, you know, the lows, the highs are beautiful but the lows are the lowest lows that you can find. No matter who your team is, no matter who your friends are, you are alone in that situation. And it's very tough for athletes, I can tell you that much.
0: Well, life as an athlete is it seems to be uh quite polar you're either feeling completely alone and like the biggest loser and 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 even successful athletes can feel can get that loser feeling if they don't reach the goals that they've set for themselves so even the greatest athletes can be incredibly depressed and dissatisfied with themselves so you you either have that or you have that indescribable high where you have so much love and support from your team around you and stuff, and there's yeah. there's nothing that can replace that. There's nothing, nothing. that I've ever found that can replace yeah. that. And, and and you know, people that haven't competed at that level do not understand. They will un- They won't understand it. I try to describe for people when I um, when I set the record <coughs> for the Norwegian raw squat last year. And people ask me, "Well, how did that feel?" And I cannot put words on it. I can't describe it. There is a there's maybe a ten minute period after that that is very hazy for me. I can't put words on what I said, what I did, how I felt, who I talked to, because it's a level of uh, of it's a level of emotion. It's a level it's an, it's a level of yeah, it's emotion, but it's so much deeper than regular in in quotes regular emotion. I can't put words on it. It's indescribable.
1: And, and it's something, it's a happy place you return to each time you have to dig deep to do that training because you go back and say, I want that feeling again. And I'm only going to get that feeling <laughs> by pushing through this.
0: That is so good that you say that because it is, and that is, that is something that elite athletes can do. They can call that feeling up again at their behest. Uh, and uh, it, ser- exactly. it, ser- it serves us well. It serves us well.
1: That's your driving force.
0: That oh, is your absolutely.
1: Drive- uh, uh, as an athlete, you know, you, you are a selfish person because you are spending more time on yourself than you're spending on a for a reason. And yes, mm-hmm. your why might be you secure a future for your family and and whatever but whilst doing that as an athlete you cannot be the nicest guy around even though there are some athletes that I mean you spoke about Ed Cohen I spoke there's some nice guys around but I can tell you when they are focusing in that six weeks and I deal with the families of a lot of the athletes of of my fighters as well and I can tell you there's many wives that come to me in the last week (laughs) of preparation and they tell me just take him home with you I don't want him at my house he's an arsehole and you know Many times you will see athletes thanking their family and their wives yes. when they yes. inside. and that's the reason. And that's they the mean it too. They, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's it's not an easy family life when you're an elite level athlete because of the time that it demands. Absolutely, and I, I guess I'm very fortunate. I'm, and I'm sure you can you can attest to this as well. Having a wife who understands your passion for sport. That is so important, a wife or a girlfriend, because yes. if that relationship isn't solid and if there's not a level of understanding beforehand, then that relationship, either either the relationship or the athletic career, is going to suffer.
1: I, Those, I've, 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 yeah, go ahead. I've got a I've got a, a, a two friends in Cape Town, and she was the female was a very high level um, female bodybuilder. And the husband was not bad either. But they would used to compete in the same competition, same preparation yeah. cycle. Mm-hmm. And eventually or no used to come to me and say, I'm quitting bodybuilding. I'm like, Why? Wow, you know, you're in great shape. Of if me and Mary have to prepare for the same comp again, we will kill each other. So okay. she's better than me at it. Yeah. I'm supporting yeah. her, and you know he made that call, and sure. he was right. I mean, she was a very high level athlete, and I mean, I've seen I've seen her go crazy, you know. And, and you're deprived of everything when you're a bodybuilder, yeah. and the, yeah. so you know, so yeah, that's what well, you have to make.
0: Yeah, it takes a certain level of communication. It takes it takes a solid relationship to be able to navigate through those challenges. Um, yeah, it's it's not an easy life being an athlete. It's not. No.
1: People don't realize that.
0: Wow. You know, I. Uh, this is so cool to be talking to. You. I never, I <laughs> never thought when when I when I go back to, um, yeah. W- what what happened was we had moved to a new house, so we got a new cable TV service, and on that cable TV service was uh, a, a sports channel. What's it called? I think it's called Extreme Sports, and on that extreme sports channel they show efc fights
1: yes and it was denied i remember back in the day you were talking about fights and i'm like but that happened like two years ago
0: (laughs) exactly you know yeah good good point good point now here's something that they do in norway that just drives me absolutely bonkers uh like you say uh i'm i'm referring to a fight that happened two years ago but norway does that they will show uh you know the efc fight series from from 2017 and then I'm thinking, okay, in a couple of weeks here, they're, they're going to move on to 2018. No, they'll go back and play 2017 again. <laughs> and it's it, it's so frustrating. And, and they'll do yeah. the same thing with TV series. Um, there's an American TV series uh, called Chicago PD, yes. and I and I think have, have you seen it?
1: Yes. Yeah, no, I love I love that series se-
0: I love that series, but they but they were stuck on season four and five. For three or four years here, they would just show season four, and then season five, and then back to season four. and It it just drives me absolutely nuts. But since then, I've gotten a new cable TV channel. Uh, I can't remember what it's called, but they show EFC as well, and they are more up-to-date, and they show each EFC event
1: okay so I can I
0: can uh, so I I can look forward to the next EFC event so (laughs) so now I'm now I'm more updated but for a while man it was 2017 over and over and over again
1: (laughs) yeah you you know it was funny the first time when when we were speaking about EFC and you were telling me you were Norway number one American so when you think American you think why would they watch EFC because they've got (laughs) the UFC number one yeah Uh, and then okay you're in Norway and then you're watching old fights and it's like well (laughs) you're watching old fights you're still passionate about it. So, you know, it, it, it was great to see. And, you know, yes, the UFC is definitely the, the, the top top tier of it. Yeah. But I can tell you that the, we, we've pushed a few athletes from UFC to the UFC. Sure, sure. Uh, and, and those athletes come in with just as much heart. They put just as much on the line yeah. as what the UFC guys do. Um, I, I fully agree with you. That they're not on par. Um, um, but some of them do get on par. That's yeah, why i exactly. would want certain. Are we got some of the guys in there
0: and the competition amongst the EFC fighters is quite exciting. I mean, it's good quality yes. fights There's not exactly. I can't I can't say anything. I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I make an effort to watch EFC I am a fan of EFC. I don't watch That's UFC. Crazy, yeah. I don't watch UFC. <laughs> I'll, I'll. You know if something crazy happens and people are talking about it I'll go in on YouTube and catch a clip of it. Yeah but my fandom goes to EFC. I like what you guys are doing. It's a great organization. And the fighters, I mean, it's, it's great entertainment. And I have a passion for it. You said something about my, you know, I showed my passion in our, in our discussions that we had. That's because I respect the sportsmanship. I respect the athletes. I respect the work that they do. I can identify with that, even though I've never done mixed martial arts.
1: Yeah, I, I think uh, now that you're talking, I think I will send you an EFCK package so that you can put it up uh, somewhere in your studio at
0: least. <laughs> you should do that, my friend. Well, <laughs> You know what? We Now, just for the people who are listening, I've I've uh, discussed with you um, coming out there to South Africa. That's how curious. I told you in the beginning of this yes. episode that I'm, I've always been very curious about South Africa, about what it's like there, the society, you know, the, the, the racial makeup, and, and just everything about South Africa. So there was a time where we were talking about me coming out there and i i haven't dropped that thought it's just that i've been so preoccupied with these operations on my shoulder for sure but one day i'm going to come to south africa with my family i have to i have to experience that
1: i'll tell you this much we we have a lot of problems in south africa um don't get me wrong but we've also got a few things that um you'll find nowhere else yeah yeah and and as a holiday destination Post COVID, I th- I still think it is a valid destination, especially for somebody that earns foreign currency. Yeah. So if if you if you are earning rands or euros. South Africa is a cheap destination yes. um, where you can get a lot of value for your money that you're going to struggle to find elsewhere. Um, yes, there is certain things that you need to be worried about. There is a little bit of security issues if you go outside certain areas. Okay, but yeah. that's a, that's the same as in the USA. You sure, know there's certain sure. neighborhoods that you must be careful. Sure, Brazil. sure. I, I, I've got friends in Brazil. I still want to go to Brazil. And he's like, Brazil is fine. Yes, Brazil has got this massive murder rate, same as South Africa. But the locals know where those murders occur. Um, the, the, the majority of those occur. So he's like, we'll ta- I'll take you to the favelas. I'll take you there. We'll go through it and you'll be safe. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's the same as in South Africa. There's certain areas that you need to avoid. Yes, and we've got unrest and we've got, but majority of the time as a um, tourist I think it's still a value-driven okay. um, uh, country yeah. to come to.
0: That's a that's a good advertisement for South Africa. If, it, <laughs> if, if if things stop with your with your personal training with your gym, you can be a travel agent.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll take this podcast and send it to the Department of Tourism. Maybe I can get uh, some hey, some value out of it.
0: <laughs> hey, I'm not that expensive. If they wanna, if they want to sponsor me, hey, send them my way. <laughs> I'll I'll say whatever they want about South Africa. <laughs>
1: I'll, I'll remind them of that. This this this. There's always a bait in the house. So you're always more than welcome to come over.
0: Well, thank you for that. And likewise, I think I told you halfway jokingly uh, uh, when there were some issues uh, over there in South Africa that you, you can come to our place. Uh, wait, beautiful,
1: wait, beautiful scenery. Oh, oh man,
0: I've been here for almost 20 years and I'm still not used to the scenery. It's just breathtaking. Did you see the picture I put up a couple of days ago?
1: Of your place Of my somewhere. place, yeah.
0: Across yes. the bay oh. and the water and then the mountain behind yes. it and stuff. It's just, it, it still takes, that's my place. In and in, in, yeah. in, in, I've been here for 20 years, but it still takes my breath away. It's just beautiful, man.
1: Yeah. You know, we don't have something similar in South Africa with regards to those scenes. Um, but we've also, we've got a place in South Africa called Armanis. Beautiful mountain. Okay. Probably best uh, well-viewing spot in South Africa. Beautiful beaches. Um close to the wine country for the the people that, you know, enjoy a good wine. There's so much in South Africa. Naturally, our our, our, uh, climate is completely different than than Norway. Yeah, yeah. But beautiful scenery. But, I mean, what what you guys have is something that South Africa definitely does not have. We don't have that kind of scenery. We don't have the snow. We don't have.
0: You know. Yeah, it's, it's it really is breathtaking. I tell you, it's 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 pretty amazing. I'm I'm very fortunate to be here. I get homesick all the time. I want to go home so bad sometimes, but I, I have to admit life is good here. I mean, i I and my family and our kids are doing are doing well. So,
1: yeah, it seems you're enjoying life. I mean, and, and, that's, and that's all I'm doing. That's, yeah, that's important. Oh. I, I, I at the end of the day, you know, nobody gets out of this alive, but it's, impo- <laughs> it's important to enjoy while you are still at it.
0: Absolutely. Amen to that. Amen to that. <laughs> well, listen, Ferdy, I, I once again, I, I totally appreciate you coming on here. This has been a very surrealistic thing. I never in my life imagined I would ever get the chance to talk to you, and was and, right. And, and, and haven't spoken to you, I say this to people uh, when, it, when, I, when I truly mean it. Uh, I, I have so much respect for what you do, and you and I think so much alike, I'm going to call you "brother from now on.
1: No, I I, I appreciate that, and and you know the same from this side. I mean, like I said, we've never physically met. No, um, but I know if we ever sit across a table from each other with no computer screen in between, we will be able to have the same chat like we have now.
0: Absolutely. Yes. From the heart. From the heart. Yes. Absolutely. Well, listen, thanks a lot for coming on. I want you to uh, enjoy the rest of your day. I hear your family in the background, so go uh, yeah, yeah. Go give them a hey, hug, hey. and I'll do the same.
1: I'll definitely do that. No, yeah, send my regards to the family, and as I say, uh, I think I'm, I'm putting a, a little EUC package together. You must send me your, your, your address. And I'll do that. post COVID. Post-COVID, I'll I'll send it over to
0: you. How about if you hang on for a second? I'm going to sign off, and then uh, I'll talk to you for a couple more minutes. 100%. Just hold on right there. Okay, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Coming Home Podcast with John Allen. Uh, Yet another great conversation with a great person. Bye, everybody. I'm coming home. I'm coming home. home. I'm, yes, I am. Yeah. Yes, I'm coming home. I'm coming home. Yes, I am. My Lord, I'm coming home. My Lord, Lord, I'm coming home.